Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Three quick things before we get into the message this morning. First of all, I sense a little bit of a heaviness in the auditorium this morning. So I'm just praying that whatever burdens or cares we have brought into this place, that we'll allow God to take those off of us and carry those for us. Amen? Amen. Second, whether you have seen the Chosen series already or you've never seen it, I would encourage you, if at all possible, to come out and watch this. It is, to me, the most accurate depiction of who I believe the Bible teaches us that Jesus is, of anything I've ever seen. And uh, it's just a really well done uh, life of Jesus, if you will, from the Gospels. And then finally today, many of you know Robert and Dana Johnston, a part of our church family. They always open up their property every year out there at Top of the World for us to have our church picnic. The women are out there all the time for women's events. The men have their men's retreat out there every year. Their property is literally in the pathway of that fire. And so please be in prayer for them. Uh, the hotshot crew literally was camped on their property last night. Uh, and we are just praying that the wind direction will change, that they'll be able to get the fire under control. And not just for obviously Robert and Dana's property, but for all those who live out there in the superior top of the world area. I know even living in Gold Canyon where I do, um, that when I came out of my house this morning to get in my car and drive down here, the smoke and, and the smell of smoke and fire was so thick that I literally started to choke. And I'm 30 miles from where they are. So I know there's a lot of fires going on right now uh, in our state, but just please keep our dear friends and part of our church family, the Johnston family, in your prayers throughout this whole day and really on into to next week. Second Corinthians chapter 7 this morning, we are continuing a series uh, through 2 Corinthians, and it's all about service. What does it mean to serve God? How does God want us to serve him? All aspects of, of serving the Lord. Um, and in fact, I, I look at 2 Corinthians like I do most of the books of the Bible. It's like this diamond, this beautiful diamond that you just keep turning, and it has different facets. And we're going to be looking at another sort of facet of service today, and a little bit of a different message today, because what we're going to be looking at from the pen of Paul today are sort of factors that, that are part of an environment in a church or a community of believers where the servants of God can grow and thrive, okay? Factors that are to be present in a community of believers or a church where servants can grow and thrive. It's just another way, because if, if someone was to ask me, is there a book of the Bible that if I were to read it and to study it, I would learn about serving God, I would always recommend 2 Corinthians. It is Paul's testimony, basically, of his experiences of being a servant of the Lord. And so we can glean a lot from uh, the experiences and life and ministry of Paul as servants of God ourselves. The first one I want to direct our attention to is just there in the first verse of chapter 7, and it is this. Therefore, 
Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that could defile the body and the spirit and thus accomplish holiness out of reverence for God. Notice that Paul is building everything now he's going to say in chapter 7 on what he said at the end of chapter 6. That's what the word therefore is therefore, right? It's pointing us back up to those verses right at the end of chapter 6. And it is a reminder to us, because this was addressed to the corporate body in Corinth. This, these weren't addressed to individuals. The, this was addressed to the corporate body at Corinth that God says, you, verse 16, are the temple of the living God. Yes, as individuals, we are also the temple of the Holy Spirit of the living God, but God also moves and works through his spirit with us as a community of believers. And God says, I will live in them. I will walk among them. And then he says, I will welcome you. I will pull you close. The end of verse 17, I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, speaking about this intimate connection and, and relationship. And, and I'm saying this as the all-powerful Lord, the one who has his hand on everything, has his hand on us as a church. And so Paul is saying, if you believe that God is dynamically or can dynamically work within a group of people, then all these things can be built on the truth of that principle. And the first one really is, can we agree that the goal that we're all here for is to become more like Jesus Christ and that we are to make progress as a church to encourage one another, strengthen one another, help one another become more like Jesus Christ. That's, that's why we're here. That's, I, I had to laugh. In fact, I turned to Sharon when Mike was up here uh, sharing what he did before the service. I turned and said, uh, he, he's, he's really set me up very nicely for the message this morning because he talked about us, you know, making Jesus the very center of everything. And, and that's exactly what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's saying in verse 1. He, he might not say it in that way, but when Paul says, guys, because we have these promises that God is working amongst us and that he will give us everything we need, we can consecrate or dedicate ourselves. That's what the word cleanse means, get, get rid of all the, the, uh, the, the things that can detract and, and defile and dilute our, our uh, commitment. Let's consecrate and dedicate ourselves to everything that could defile the body and spirit, unless let's continue to make progress in becoming more like Jesus Christ. And let's agree that that's why we're here. That's really what accomplishing holiness out of reverence for God is all about in a nutshell. It's becoming more like Jesus. Now, there are so many churches today that maybe are a little confused about why we meet and what we're all about, and maybe they have a thousand other reasons of why we should get together and, and, and worship together and, and get into the Word together, but Paul's making it very clear. If you and I are going to be part of an environment where as servants of God we can grow and we can thrive, then we've all got to be working towards the same goal. 
We, we've got to be focused on the same thing. We've all got to be coming together saying, I want to be a part of this fellowship of believers because they're all there to become more like Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to do. I want to become more like Jesus Christ. And so as we become more like Jesus Christ, it's pretty obvious we're going to grow to be a servant because who was Jesus Christ? He was the greatest servant that the earth has ever known. He's the greatest servant that the universe ha has ever had on on display. In fact, even over in the next chapter, and we'll be talking about this verse next week, if you go over to chapter 8 and look at verse 9, Paul's talking to them about grace and about the graciousness that can be exhibited through a life. And what does Paul do? He doesn't set another human being up as the example of what it means to be gracious. He sets the Lord Jesus Christ up as the ultimate example of graciousness. And he says in chapter 8, verse 9, for you know, Corinthians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, he became poor for your sakes so that you by his poverty could become rich. Ultimate service, ultimate example of grace. And that's the way it is. When we come together, Jesus Christ ought to always be the center of everything that we do. He ought to be the goal of everything that we do. What does Paul say? For me to live is what? Christ. To die is gain. Paul said, there's one thing that I want to do. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering so that I can be made conformable to his death. Romans 8, 29, we were predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. That's the goal of our salvation from God's perspective. Therefore, that should be our goal as Christians too. Make no mistake about it. We as churches, just like we as individuals, we can get distracted. We, we can get off on so many other things that we should be pursuing. But the one thing above everything else, all of us should be pursuing and should be coming together to pursue is to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, every day. To make progress in that. That's what Paul means by accomplishing holiness out of reverence for God. And when you and I make that the goal of our life, when we as a church make that the goal of our church, if, if people, and God's going to continue to bring more and more people here, they ask, well, what's the Oasis all about? I'm okay with saying we're just a group of people that are here to, to encourage one another to become more like Jesus. That, that's what we're about. That's our number one thing. But Paul doesn't stop there. That's the first factor. But then notice the second factor in verses 2 and 3. Make room for us in your hearts. <laughs> he talked about that last week. We have wronged no one. We have ruined no one. We have exploited no one. Why is Paul using this language? Well, I didn't go into it last week, but basically there was a group of people who had entered into the church at Corinth who were either jealous of Paul, envious of Paul, didn't like Paul, misunderstood Paul, and maybe his motives and all that, and they were seeking to undermine the ministry of Paul in the church. And Paul, in a sense, is just taking up for himself and saying, look, when we were with you, when we established the church, when we, when we started all this and we were used by God to, you know, build you up, you, you know what we were like, right? And then he goes on to say, I do not say this, verse 3, to condemn you, for I told you before that you're in our hearts so that we die together and we live together with you. 
not only do we, as God's people, need to agree on what the common goal is in order to create an environment where, as servants, we can grow as servants of God and we can thrive, we also need to be committed to one another, you see, committed to one another. Paul was basically saying in verse 3 by the fact that he's saying, look, you're in our hearts and we're going to die together just like we live together with you, that they, meaning the Corinthians, had a secure place in his heart. They had a secure place in his affections. It's an example of expressing unconditional love. Paul's in a sense saying, you and Corinth can always count on me. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, you don't have to worry about, am I going to get to a place in my life where I cut and run or where I'm not there for you or where you can't count on me or you can't rely upon me or you can't depend upon me. Paul's basically saying, no, 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 you will always be able to count on me. And that's part of the dynamic that needs to happen in a group of Christians and in a church if we're ever going to grow to truly be God's servants and thrive. We need to not only know that we can count on God, but that we can count on each other and that we agree on a common goal. Listen. Sorry, I'm going to lay this down for a minute. Even in the secular world, forget spiritual even for a moment. There's two things that you and I know that need to exist in, in these entities, in these businesses, in, in these corporations, whatever, in order to really thrive. Two things, the same basically two principles Paul just laid down. One, can a group of people come together and first of all agree on a common goal? Because if, if you're not going after the same thing, if all of you are, you know, have your own agendas and whatever, then that's not going to work. And then two, beyond that, can you count on one another? Do you, do you know there's others that's going to have your back and that there's going to be a loyalty there and a, and a commitment there, not just to the common goal, but to each other? I mean, and I'll get back to this in a little bit, but many of you know I had a background in sports for many years. And even taking that as an example, you can't be a successful team in any sport unless you have these two principles. Unless you have a group of people who agree this is our common goal, this is what we're all after, and two, we're committed to each other as well. And that's what Paul's saying here. And that's what needs to happen in the local church in order for us to grow and thrive as servants of God. You see, that's why we're in sort of a defining period here in our church's history after 11 years. Because God has a group of people to get us to this point, and now God is looking and calling others out to see who's going to be the ones, the group of people at this church to take us to that next level with God. And it's going to have to be people that not only are committed to God and committed to the common goal, but who are committed to each other, that you know that we're there for each other, and, and that we can be counted on and relied on and dependent. It, it's all about really consistency too, right? It, it's about knowing, for instance, 
It was very important for me, and, and I felt very clear from the Lord that at the beginning of the pandemic, God said, here's one the church is gonna, what the church is going to do and how to navigate that, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to be there. I want you to be there every Sunday and Wednesday. I don't want you to take any Sundays and Wednesdays off. I want you to, by example, show these people that whoever does come, there's the pastor. Our worship leader was the same for the last... 18 months, every Wednesday and every Sunday, boom, she's been here, right? That's important. Do you want to be part of a church where you go in some Sunday and go, I don't know who's speaking today, you know? And maybe he'll be there. And, and listen, I'm not saying I'm never going to take time off. I, I understand that. But it's important that we create an environment where you know your leaders are here and that we're going to be here and that we're not going anywhere. That's important to know. It creates a sense of stability and security within any organization to know that, right? If you're not sure, then that is not an environment where people are gonna grow and thrive, you see? We need that from not just the leadership. And can I say, as the pastor of this church, part of why I say I've never pastored a church better than this one is because at the leadership level, from our elders to our staff to our ministry leaders and stuff, you guys have been rock solid for 11 years. Yeah, yeah, they, they deserve it. I mean, they're here and they're ministering and you know you can count on them and you know when you show up on Wednesday and Sunday, who's gonna be here for the most part? And that's what Paul's saying. And that's what we need to see. We need to know who can we count on? Who's going to be here consistently so that we can do something? Because here's the other principle, and it goes to every level of our life. So many times as Christians, we don't get the benefit that we could out of the things God wants us to get the benefit out of because we're not doing them consistently enough. Inconsistency will kill whatever benefit or profit we can gain out of anything that we do. If we're not doing it consistently enough, then we're not going to receive the maximum impact from whatever we're a part of. And so many Christians today have a hard time being consistent in prayer, consistent in their worship, consistent in their time in the Word, consistent in their attendance to the house of God. Consistent. You've heard me say this way too often, but I'm just going to keep saying it again. It is the cumulative effect of what you and I do consistently over time that really makes the biggest difference in our spiritual walk with God. Though we live in a world that's all about big-time experiences, and I'm not saying that those aren't valid. I'm not saying that they can't be of benefit or profit to us, sometimes those mountaintop experiences with God. But over the long haul of our life, those few experiences, if you will, that come every once in a while are not going to be what jettisons us forward spiritually. It's simply the daily 
consistency of our walk with God, and over time, that's what we see really makes the difference. It's consistency. It's knowing we can count on each other. We can rely on each other. So God is saying right now, before we get to fall and before these two services start, who can I count on? Who's going to be able to be relied on? Who's going to be able to be depended on? Because if we're going to continue to create an environment where the servants of God can grow and thrive, we not only need to agree on the common goal, which is to become more like Jesus, we've also got to commit ourselves to one another and say, like Paul said, hey, I'm here living with you, and I'm going to die with you. And that's just the way it is. I'm not going anywhere. You can count on me. we can count on each other and when you have that kind of an environment oh look out to see what God can do and my friends God's already doing it right he's already working he's already showing us and giving us glimpses of what our future holds as a body of believers if we'll just keep pressing forward to to create and continue to maintain that kind of environment but Paul doesn't stop there oh no Look at verse 4. I have great confidence in you. Wow. Paul says, I believe in you. Let me ask you, do you have anybody in your life that believes in you? Who said to you lately, I have confidence in you? How about this? I'm proud of you. Paul says, I take great pride on your behalf. Go over with me to verse 14 of chapter 7. Paul says, I have been extremely complimentary, praising you to my friend Titus. He says, for if I boasted to him about anything concerning you, I've not been embarrassed by you, but just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting to Titus about you has proved true as well. When Titus met you, he said, Paul, you weren't weren't kidding. These people are the real deal. They're, They're who you said they were. And then look at verse 16. I am fully confident in you. This is a little bit different than what he says in verse 4. He's basically saying, I'm able to hold my head up high because of you. Wow. See, not only do we need to create an environment where we have a common goal with each other and where we're committed to each other, but where there are actually great expectations of one another that's expressed and great confidence in each other. I know in my own life, a few people stick out in my life. And you know why? Because they were people that said the same thing to me at one time in my life or at strategic times in my life that Paul said to the Corinthians. I'm proud of you. I'm confident in you. I believe in you. That's so important that we hear that, and we don't hear that enough today, especially amongst Christians. And how can we say things like that? 
Because we always talk about, oh, we shouldn't have any expectations. You know, the reason Paul can say that about the Corinthians is not necessarily just because of them. It's because of the God he knows lives in them and who's behind them. You see, it's because God has given us all these promises that he will work in us and be with us and be our father and, and, and dynamically move in, in our midst that Paul can say, I know I can have that confidence and belief and faith in you and all of that because I know of the God who lives in you can make it all possible. We live in a world of very low or non-existent expectations. And let me say something here to, to parents and grandparents. Can I for a moment? Be careful that you're not raising your children without great expectations being placed upon them. Because so many parents, even Christian parents today, basically are raising their children with very low or non-existent expectations, maybe because they don't want to be disappointed. I don't know why because the Bible teaches just the opposite. The Bible teaches us that God places great expectations on us, his children. And what I have found and what the Bible teaches is that most of the time, people will rise to the level of expectations that are placed upon them. If you don't place any expectations on others, then they won't rise to any level. But if you place expectations on people like Paul placed on the Corinthians, it's almost like it creates in them a, a want to of like, I want to prove Paul right. I want to show people that I'm worthy of that confidence and worthy of that faith and worthy of that belief. I don't want to let them down. So they rise to the occasion. In the church today, Many churches don't have those expectations. And can I tell you this? Because many people who come to our church know that there might be something like that going on here. I've literally had several people throughout our 11 years of history who came to me on their way out the door saying, I know what your church is about, and I don't want to be a part of that church because I don't want to have those expectations. Dangerous. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just say this to follow up. Paul Harvey, rest of the story. I know I'm dating myself. <laughs> the ones that I know, their lives ended up in disaster not too long after that. It's important, folks that we have that kind of feelings towards each other and expectations towards one another. Again, not because of just us, but because of the God who lives within us. 
See, I can be confident in you. I can believe in you. I can say I'm proud of you because I know that God lives in you. And I know that whatever then God is leading you to do, you've got what it takes to do it. And God's never going to lead you to a place of service or ministry or anything in his body that he's not going to equip you for and enable you for and empower you for. Therefore, I can be confident in you because I'm confident in my God who's in you. Let me ask you again, do you have anybody in your life that on a regular basis speaks into your life like that? I hope so. Because I'll tell you what, it makes all the difference in the world when you know somebody believes in you, when somebody's proud of you, when somebody's confident of you. That makes all the difference in the world. It changes the way you and I wake up in the morning and the way we approach our day, knowing there's somebody out there that believes in me. That's what Paul was communicating to the Corinthians. And folks, when you and I exist in that kind of an environment with each other, like Paul is, has with the Corinthians, where we not only can agree on a common goal, where we can be committed to each other, and where we have these great expectations of one another because we have great expectations of God. Oh, look out. In fact, that's one of the reasons why people are starting to come and come more consistently to the Oasis. You know why? Because you don't want to miss what God's doing. Because you're coming on Sunday and Wednesday going, God's going to show up again, and I, I don't want to miss what God's doing. Because you come to the house of the Lord with a sense of expectation and anticipation. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should always be. Because we serve a great God, and he's just getting started. Speaking of our great God, let me show you another one. If you go back to chapter 7, verse 4, Paul says, I'm filled with encouragement. I'm overflowing with joy in the midst of all of our suffering. Now, Paul's either crazy or there's something else at work here, right? There is. Because he says, even verse 5, when we came into Macedonia, our body had no rest at all. We were troubled in every way, struggles from the outside, fears within. Paul's basically saying we were being pressed physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Listen, some of you struggle with fears inside every once in a while. Don't be afraid or ashamed of that. Paul struggled with fears. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing what you know is right in spite of the fear. Paul had struggles from the outside. Paul was troubled in every way. Paul had no rest in his body, physical body. And yet, he said, I'm overflowing with joy. How can that be? First two words of verse 6, but God. Two words that exist throughout the Bible that just changes the whole dynamic that changes the whole paradigm, but God. Paul's basically saying, listen, 
Here's where we are circumstantially, but the awareness of the present presence of God makes all the difference. I know some of you who are taking notes going, why did you have to make your point so long? <laughs> Notice today, it's not these short little one-word alliterations. Sorry, it just didn't fit today. That's what Paul is saying when he says, we're circumstantially being pressed here in every way. We're being stretched beyond imagination, but I'm overflowing with joy. Why? Because of God. Because Paul was always aware of the present presence of God that makes all the difference in the world. God wants us to live in that environment, too. It's the fourth factor in creating an environment where the servants of God can grow and thrive. Common goal, first factor. Second goal, committed to one another. Third goal, great expectations. Final goal, the awareness of the present presence of God to make a difference. Meaning, because, well, isn't God always present? Yeah, he is. He's always everywhere. He's omnipresent. But that doesn't mean that his presence isn't looked to to make a difference presently. I know. It's like he's there, but he's just sort of there. No, no. When God as he said at the end of chapter 6, is in the midst of his people, he wants his presence to make all the difference in the world. He wants his presence to totally transform a normal room like this and make it a house of worship. He wants his presence in us, not to just sort of sit there and, and be, you know, just hanging out. He wants his presence to make all the difference in the world of how we live life and how we view life and our outlook on life and our perspective on life and our attitude toward life and everything about life. He wants his presence to always be present to make all the difference in the world, but God. So let's just go back just real quickly and see that dynamic even throughout some of the very familiar Bible stories. The children of Israel were backed up with Pharaoh and his army approaching them, and there was a sea behind them. Looks bad, right? But God. The children of Israel needed to cross the Jordan River at flood stage. How were they going to do it? But God. They needed to conquer an impregnable city, Jericho. How were they going to do it? But God, that's how. Two widows named Naomi and Ruth were left helpless and hopeless, right? But God. A man was thrown into a den of lions. Looks pretty bad for Daniel, right? But God. Three of his friends were thrown into a fiery furnace. Looks bad for them too, right? But God. You see, throughout our lives, and I could look at many of you in this auditorium, and I could recall things and events and circumstances that you have went through where you were going through hard times and may still be going through struggles and hard times. 
saying, how did we get through that? Or how did we navigate that? And your life is a testimony just like they were in the Bible, that God made all the difference in the world. That's the answer. It is the awareness of the present presence of God in our life. So that no matter what I face, no matter what I'm going through, I'm always bringing my great big, bigger than any problem God into the very center of it all and saying, God, here's what I'm dealt, but there's always you. And you can make all the difference in the world but God. When we create that kind of environment as a community of believers, then we're strengthening and encouraging each other because guess what? Just like Paul, there's going to be fears inside every once in a while. There's going to be pressures and troubles coming from outside. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be things that you and I are going to go through. But when we're part of a body of Christians that always is reminding each other through our worship and through our time in the Word and through our fellowship with each other, that yes, but God, oh, then the servants of God begin to grow and thrive because we begin to see God responding to our but God. Because God always responds to faith. And when we begin to look to him in the midst of whatever you and I are going through, God changes the equation. He might not change the circumstance, but he changes us in order to rise to deal with it. He didn't take the giant away from David, he gave David the ammunition David needed to slay the giant. But God. But don't miss this. Notice what Paul says as he continues that verse. He said, but God, who encourages the downhearted, Paul was weighed down Paul was discouraged. How did God encourage Paul? By the arrival of a person? By the arrival of Titus? See, God doesn't need to use any of us as his servants, but God prefers to use us and wants to use us to be his answer, even in other people's lives? Could God have encouraged Paul and the others who were part of his team without Titus? Absolutely. God can always do what God only can do without any of us. But God wants to use you. God prefers to use you. That's part of the reason why God lives in you. And that's where we are when we come to learning to be a servant of God. It's realizing that God doesn't need me, but God wants to use me. And it's having the confidence to say, God, I believe you want to use me. And so I'm going to make myself available today. Who do you want to use me in 
how do you want to use me today? Because God prefers to use us, just like he did Titus in Paul's life. It was through the arrival of Titus that Paul's heart was encouraged. You and I all know that to be true. There have been strategic times in our life where the arrival, the text, the phone call, the email of somebody just refreshed us, strengthened us, encouraged us. We all know that. And God wants to continue to not only have us to be the recipients of that kind of a ministry, God wants us to be part of that kind of ministry too. God wants to grow us as his servants. God wants us to be part of a church and a community of believers where we can thrive. Paul says, here's how you do it. You all go after the same goal. You stay committed to each other, knowing that you can count on each other. You have great expectations for each other because you have a great God behind you all and in you all. And you live continually with the awareness of the present presence of God that can make all the difference in the world. Knowing that through all that, God's going to continue to tap people like he did Titus to go, Titus, I need to get you to Paul because I know once Paul sees your face, once Paul hears your voice, once Paul hears the words coming out of your mouth, he's going to be encouraged. Are you and I willing to do our part? Listen, God will never ask us to do more than our part. God is simply asking all of us, are you willing to do your part? Because each of us has a part to play in this wonderful thing that God is doing here on this earth. Would you stand with me? God, I pray today, oh, that we, Lord, would go after, Lord, what you want us to go after. And that's being more like Jesus. God, that you would help us to continue to create an environment here at the Oasis where your servants can grow and thrive, where we can all see, Lord, us becoming who you created us and saved us to be, where we can reach our full potential in you. God, every last one of us, you believe in us, God. You do. You believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. You've said you're proud of us. You said you have confidence in us. You told a ragtag group of men that you called out on this earth, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to turn the world upside down with you and a few others. And God, it wasn't until they got to a place where they truly believed in the God in them and the God behind them that things really started to happen. And God, that's what you want to see happen here and in every church around this world where your true believers are meeting today. And that is you are looking for a group of people who truly look to you and say, God, I know you can do it again. 
We just need to make ourselves available to you, and we need to believe in you like never before. And so, God, I pray that that would be our attitude here at the Oasis Church. I pray that it would be the attitude of our sister churches. And, and again, for believers all over this world, God, it, it's time for your people to rise up and be the light you've called us to be. So God, may we place our lives in your hands. May we crawl up there on that altar as a living sacrifice. And if we've crawled off that altar, then it's time, God, to get back on. God, would you do a work? in us today and through us. We pray in Jesus' name.